0: I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn them me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians 5 is where I'd like to direct your attention this morning as uh, we continue in God's Word. We're going to look at eventually at Ephesians 5, and we're going to start in verse 15 in uh, just a few moments. I actually would like to begin this morning by telling you a story, a story you may find hard to believe. It's sad, and frankly, it's so irresponsible that... Um, I would be tempted not to believe it except for the fact that I heard it from a number of, of credible uh sources. It's it's a story that, that um it's an example, an extreme example of an issue that we confront in Ephesians chapter five, uh verses fifteen and sixteen. Now the main characters in this story are a Korean couple, Kim Jai boom, who is forty, and his wife, Kim Jung, who was uh, who is twenty five years old. Uh, this young couple met uh, in 2008. Kim Jai-bum was a, a truck driver. The woman he eventually married was a factory worker. Actually, uh, the woman, he they moved in together. They never married. Uh, one of his greatest pleasures on earth, this man, he was 40 years old, was playing online video games. He loved to play. And he introduced his girlfriend to these games, South Korea has one of the world's most advanced online gaming infrastructures. It's a five billion dollar business in that country. And, uh, there is ultra high speed internet all over the place. Uh, there are 21,500 cafes, internet cafes in the country. And people go, the, the culture is changing because of how people, uh, love to play these online games. Uh, this couple moved in together, and in the fall of 2010, actually June of 2010, their baby, a little girl they named Kim Sao Rung, was born. Uh, she was slightly pr- premature. She weighed 6.4 pounds, which is um, um, decent. Problems came, though, for this couple when they realized how much their daughter interfered with their computer gaming. Uh, so their favorite game, one of their favorite games to play online was called Prius Online. Prius Online was a, had nothing to do with the Toyota car company, but uh, it's a, a 3D fantasy game in which you raise an online child who gains magical powers as she grows. That's the premise of the game. Kim jai bum and Kim Yong-jung played together at the cafe more and more and more and more. And eventually it got to the point where they were spending together so much time on the computer at an internet cafe that uh, they were leaving their their daughter, their real daughter, they were playing with their virtual daughter on the computer and they were leaving their real daughter home alone in their apartment for as much as 10 hours at a time. Um, in September of 2010, when she was three months old, Kim Sa-ryong died of malnutrition and neglect. She weighed five and a half pounds when she died. Uh, I, this is an extreme case. I know that. It's tragic. It's sad. Uh, it, it's so extreme it made international news. That's why I heard about it, this young Korean couple. How could anybody spend so much time online nurturing a virtual daughter uh, th- that they were ignoring their real daughter that was at home? Sometimes, though, extreme cases are good to think about because they are jarring, jarring enough maybe to make you think about the wise and foolish choices that you uh make. In this case, maybe you can think about how uh things you're pursuing online or things that happen at work or things that happen with your hobbies, how they may be suffocating the real relationships that you have or the real skills or the real opportunities. And and the issue that I want to show you this morning as I talk about it is not just wasted time uh, like letting an afternoon slip by or a night slip by. I want to talk to you about this cosmic issue of good and evil that Paul presents to us in Ephesians 5. We're going to talk today about wise and foolish living, and we're going to do so under the authority of God's words in Holy Scripture uh, recorded for us by the Apostle Paul. So uh, we're going to focus on verses 15 and 16, but actually I want to read several verses I want to read the entire section of scripture this morning. So I'm going to start in verse 15 and I'm going to read through chapter six, verse nine. It's a long passage of scripture. We're going to introduce this section this morning and then focus on these two verses. So uh, pal- uh, pay attention, follow along as I read from God's word, starting in verse 15 of Ephesians five. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, To your husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves. Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to come to the last major section of the book of Ephesians before the conclusion, which starts in verse 10, which is devoted to spiritual warfare. Uh, this is the last section of scripture in the Ephesians that begins with this command to walk. This is how you can divide up Ephesians 4 through 6, this command walk or live. It's in 4-1 where Paul says live or walk in unity. In 4, verse 17, chapter 4, verse 17, live in holiness. In 5, chapter 2, it's uh, chapter 5, verse 2, it says live in love. In chapter 5, verse 8, it says live in the light. And here in chapter 5, verse uh, 15, it says live in wisdom. And this section is devoted to telling us what it means to live wisely. Wisely. Now, let me just spend a few minutes talking about how this section of Scripture is put together here. Uh, the basic command here is live in wisdom, but Paul pairs that with being filled with the Spirit. There is a connection between living in wisdom and being filled with the Spirit, because in verse 18 he says, be filled with the Spirit, another major command in this passage. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul had also put together the spirit and the wisdom. Paul says, I pray that the God, uh, our father, may fill you with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That is, the spirit of God brings wisdom. Now, the fruit of walking in wisdom and being filled with the spirit, he uh, opens up for us starting in verse 19. And there's four things that he mentions here. If you're filled with the Spirit, if you're walking in wisdom, you will do these four things. You will speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You'll sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. You'll give thanks to God the Father for everything. And you'll submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's how you know you're walking in the Spirit. You're walking in wisdom. Those four things. And then in verses 22 through uh, chapter 6, verse 9, he gives us three pairs where there is submission to be modeled in the church. Wives to husbands, children to parents, slaves to masters. He, he unpacks that submission part of the scripture. This is one of the most countercultural parts in the Bible. <laughs> As I was reading this passage, I thought to myself, what fool reads this verse if you don't have to? Wives submit to your husbands in everything? <laughs> it's countercultural it's not what we expect uh it it it's ruffling isn't it we're going to lord willing uh spend uh, several weeks unfolding this passage of scripture in fact um, according to my plan we're going to spend 6 weeks in July and August talking about this this section between husbands and wives that's that's what we're going to do uh once i return from my uh, sabbatical unless i think better of it Um, Today, though, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on these introductory words in verses 15 and 16, and I've entitled this talk for today, Basics for Walking in Wisdom. Where does all this material start? Where do we get started with these basic uh, wisdom things? These verses touch on important aspects of your life. There is not a person in this room that does not qualify in one of the relationships or does not participate in at least one of the relationships that Paul's going to unfold. Everyone here is either, and you're probably more than one of these things, a wife, a husband, a child, a parent, an employee, or an employer. You fit into one of those categories. And Paul wants to talk to you about walking in wisdom as you live out your wifery, your husbanding, your uh, childness, your parenting, your working, your employing. So where do we start, though? Here is where walking in wisdom begins. And I want to give you three ways to get started walking in wisdom, three things you need to get started. Uh, We're going to spend, actually, as we go over these three, the least amount of time with the first ones, my Points are going to get longer as so the day goes. They should get shorter, but I didn't pass homiletics anyway. So here we go. Number one, you need careful consideration. You need careful consideration. Verse 15 begins Be very careful then how you live, or watch carefully how you walk. This is a command for us to engage in some introspection, to think carefully about our habits our choices, our practices. Think carefully about the way you live your life. Watch. Think about this. You probably don't like it on days when you walk into work and you receive news that something's changed. There's a new boss. Oh. Here we're going to start using this new computer system at work. Oh. Or... um. We've hired a management consultant to come and help us do things more effectively uh, around the office. You, you, you don't like that because the boss comes in or the management consultant comes in or the software there is in front of you on, on your desk. And it's going to make you change everything. That person, that boss is going to come in and say, why are you doing it this way? And you're going to have to tell them why you do it all. Or uh, the software isn't going to do what you've always done with the old software. You're going to have to figure out a new way to do everything. <sighs> Sometimes, though, as unpleasant as it is, that, it's really helpful to have somebody come in and say, why are you doing it this way? Is there another way? Can you improve this somehow? That's, that's helpful because we fall, we, we get so busy, engaged in doing things that it's easy, not just at work, but in all of life to fall into patterns and habits that you would not choose consciously. Have, have you ever had that experience of waking up and saying, why, why am I doing this this way? Why, why am I doing this? Huh. Sometimes it happens when you look over and you see somebody else doing something different and doing the same thing you're trying to accomplish, but in a lot better way. I mean, you look at your neighbor and you say, "Why does his lawn look so much better than mine?" Or, "Why? Why? What's about his marriage is so much happier that it seems like than mine?" Is there something going on in what I'm doing? Paul says, "Stop and think. Watch carefully. Consider. Consci- Don't fall into patterns." Don't fall into habits that you would not consciously choose. Think. You've got to uh, carefully consider. When's the last time that you really sat down and thought about what you're doing and why you're doing it? There's a number of ways that you can do this. Plenty of of tools. I think I've shared with you um, some of them in the past. Every now and then in, in the bulletin I have some questions from Donald Whitney. Donald Whitney's written some good books, but he wrote some articles with titles like 10 questions to ask yourself on your birthday. Evaluating questions. 10 questions to consider at the start of a new year. Another little tool is is written, an article written by David Paulison. It's called X-ray questions. Here's 33 questions he wants you to ask yourself that are helpful for giving careful consideration. Here, Here they are. What do you love? What do you hate? What do you want or desire or crave or wish for? What desires do you serve and obey? What do you seek, aim for and pursue? Where do you bank your hopes? What do you fear? What do you want? What do you tend to worry about? What do you feel like doing? What do you think you need? What are your plans, strategies and intentions designed to accomplish? What would help is if you decide to answer these questions with a friend, someone who knows you well, Um, before he launches just an investigation into how the spirit is supposed to change your life in all these relationships, Paul says, stop and think, watch carefully, consider what you're doing and where you're going. The first basic for walking in wisdom. Here's the second one that I want to share with you this morning. Number two, you need careful consideration, but secondly, you need inspired interpretation. You need inspired interpretation. That's the command in verse 15. Walk not as unwise, but as wise. That not as unwise, actually in these verses this is the first not. Not as unwise, then verse 17, not, don't be foolish, do not be foolish. And then verse 18, do not get drunk on wine. There's three nots and three do's in these verses. Don't walk as unwise, but as wise Um, wisdom is is the main point of this entire uh, section in the book of Ephesians. Wisdom refers to God's ordering of the universe, how he manages and controls and structures the world he made. And by living with an inspired interpretation, we're to live our lives based on the wisdom that God has revealed. The way God has ordered and structured the world. Um, We see this link here of God's wisdom and his ordering in chapter three, verse 10. It's worth flipping over. Look at Ephesians three, verse 10 here. He says um, his intent, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice here how the passage links the manifold wisdom of God with the church. God's plan is that in his design, in his ordering of how the church is supposed to work, in the structure that he has set up for the church, it's supposed to, the church will manifest God's manifold wisdom. Which, which, by the way, is one of the reasons that we try in our church to, to um, look in the scriptures as much as possible to find out what does God say about how a church should be ordered and structured. I do not believe that we have as much freedom as some people think we do to organize our church, to structure our church. We are trying to live up to the plan that God has so that our church will best model the manifold wisdom of God. That's the plan. Uh, which, by the way, huh, the rest of chapter 5 is about how marriage models the relationship between Christ and the church. So the church was structured and ordered by God so it would fulfill and reveal the manifold wisdom of God. And the marriage is this relationship that's supposed to be built on Christ's relationship to the church. So God's plan, uh, follow here, in Ephesians chapter 5, are that your marriage is supposed to be a manifestation of the manifold wisdom of God. So when we come to Ephesians chapter 5 and we uh, struggle under these verses and that awful S word, submit... What we're doing here is we are in pursuit of the manifestation of the manifold wisdom of God. It's one of the things we're after. The command in verse 15, we'll come to that in a few weeks. The, The command in verse 15 is that we're to live lives that reflect our insight into how God ordered the universe. We live in light of the interpretation of the world that is offered for us in Holy Scripture. God made the world, and as a creator of the world, we obey what He says about the world and how it's supposed to work. That's our focus and our goal. Uh, I love to read and watch mysteries. Do you like to watch or read mysteries? Especially mysteries with intricate plots. Um, I like to see plans unfold, and I like to see—I like to be surprised at strategies that take place off camera. Um, several years ago, I, I read one of Michael Crichton's first novels. It was called *The Great Train Robbery*. *Great Train Robbery* was based—it's a fictionalized account based on a plot to steal a massive shipment of gold from a train in Great Britain in 1855. The gold was going to the war in Cr- the Crimea to pay for it, and and these um, villains decided to steal the gold. The main character in Crichton's fictionalizing of this story. His name Edward Pierce, and he spent a year preparing for this robbery that took place uh, in just a, a matter of a few hours on, on one day. He had to get four keys. There were four keys that he had to get in order to get into the safes that were holding the keys, uh, the gold. And, and the, the story weaves through how did he get the keys. Well, he first he had to find out where the keys were held. Two of them were in the private possession of the president of the bank and the vice president of the bank. How is he going to get the keys? Well, he, he befriends the president of the bank and he woos his way into his home and he, he searches his home surreptitiously and finds the key, one key down. And he, he, all four keys he worked, to get two of the keys, which were kept in the bank office, he needed to get a, a, a criminal, a really short, uh, acrobatic criminal, to break into the, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, bank office, uh, the train station office, just at the right moment. So he had to arrange a, a jail break, and then he, he got the acrobatic little thief to break in at just the right moment when he had watched the guards. It's is an intricate, intricate plot. It was a detailed plan. All along the way, there were people participating in this plan, who didn't know they were participating in the plan, but they they were part of it. It was this intricate plot. God's wisdom is great, and he has ordered the universe to work according to his plan. It's, It's a reflection, actually, of our fallenness, our alienation from him, that we don't recognize it or appreciate the wisdom of how God made the world. In the world God made, you are a fool, the Bible says, if you think that your life consists in the abundance of your possessions and how much you can accumulate. If, but that's one of the things that we, that's one of the truths that we live by, isn't it? Or we're tempted to live by that, that my life. I, I, I don't want God's wisdom. I'm going to live according to this wisdom that says the more I get, the better I am. James four thirteen to eighteen talks about these two things that Paul contrasts. Also, human wisdom and divine wisdom. God has a plan and it's a good one. We don't we don't live live by it often. Listen to what James says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice." But the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit, it's impartial, it's sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Uh, you need. We need to walk according to the wisdom that God has revealed in his word, and we are naturally disinclined to do so. In in the first Corinthians, in the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about human wisdom and God's wisdom. And there's a difference between the two. Human wisdom is uh, selfish. It's self-centered. It's promotional. It it glories in appearance, not substance. Uh, Human wisdom uses people and it uses things to get ahead. Human wisdom is what crucified the Lord Jesus. If, if you're here this morning and you're, you're not a Christian, what I want you to know is that God, the God who made you and who made everything is indisputably wise. And naturally, none of us is inclined to value or even uh, see his wisdom. We are uh, separated from his goodness, his wisdom, his, his love, because we've rejected his authority and we've gone our, our own way. Uh, Paul says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Maybe this is a trifling illustration, but you've been to a grocery store, right? Or Target, and you've got a cart. And one of the first things maybe you do if you're a real perfectionist with that cart is you see how, how straight does this cart go? Am I going to be battling this cart all the way through the grocery store, uh, or, or is it going to go with me? And does it make some obnoxious sound as I'm walking around pushing it, or does it go smoothly down the, the way? <laughs> uh, if, if you find one that goes smoothly and is straight, blessings be upon you, right? That's not the way grocery carts work. And it's not the way human beings work either. We're not according to the plan. We're living outside of God's plan, the way he made the world, the way it's supposed to work. And we naturally ignore the way that God, ignore the God who made us. And doing so makes us objects of God's wrath. God is someday going to reassert his authority over the world and those of us who are his enemies because we wandered away from him. We're objects of his wrath and we're going to bear the penalty of his wrath. But in love, God has chosen to bear that wrath himself. He did it through the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. He came and he lived perfectly. uh, He lived a wise life under the rule of God He he was crucified. His death was more than just a judicial decision. It was a death of cosmic significance because on the cross, God poured out his wrath on his son. The wrath that we deserved. The Bible calls everyone to turn to Jesus Christ by faith to find life and forgiveness. Trusting in what he did to rely, trusting in what he did on the cross, relying on his death as a solution to your sin problem. And when you do, God accepts you. He adopts you. He redeems you. Turning to him is a decision that runs counter to human wisdom. Human wisdom is proud. It's self-promoting. It is not humble. It is not recognize uh, its 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 errors. And to these believers, Paul says in Ephesians 5, you've got to walk in God's wisdom. By doing so, Paul is reflecting a lesson, actually, that is all the way through the book of Proverbs. Pastor Scott read verses from Proverbs today. Get wisdom. You have got to seek after and long for and value wisdom. This is in particular a command that God gives to young people. Um, it, 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 the, the Bible equates youth with foolishness yesterday, my family and I, we had a great day. We went to Dutch wonderland. And we were standing in Dutch Wonderland, and somebody got off. They were getting off ahead of us, the bumper cars, and this little four year old boy was just running, running out of the bumper cars. And his, his father said to him, um, Wyatt, I don't remember his name, Wyatt, don't run here at Dutch Wonderland. They don't like it if you run at Dutch Wonderland. And I thought to myself, this is a four year old kid. He's in Dutch Wonderland. It's like the hyper child capital of the world, right? And, and probably his dad had fed him cocoa puffs for breakfast, okay? He says, don't run, Wyatt. And Wyatt's like, oh, what are we going to go to next? You know, Wyatt can't help it. Running is endemic to four-year-old boys who are juiced up on cocoa puffs in a Dutch wonderland. That's what they do. And the Bible says if you are young, don't take this the wrong way, you are foolish. You have got to get Wisdom. You've got to seek it. You've got to long for it. If you graduate from high school and college, boy, congratulations. You are foolish. You need wisdom. You need to seek wisdom. It's my hope that every time we open this book as a church, God will set us aright. And God will help us see his wisdom more clearly, that we need to walk in. In it and value it. In fact, the book of Proverbs is that it guarantees. Opens opens itself with these wonderful promises. If you want wisdom, study what I'm gonna say in this book. Because you in your life, and if you're going to walk in wisdom as a wife, as a husband, as an employer, as a child, as, as a, a, an employee, if you're going to walk in wisdom this way, you've got to, if you're going to walk well, you've got to seek wisdom. You need an inspired interpretation of your life, of your world. There's one more thing that I want to talk about that you need here. You need careful consideration. You need an inspired interpretation of the world. And third, you need diligent discipline. Diligent discipline. Verse 16 says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That is, redeem the time or take advantage of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Now, with just a quick glance, this is a verse that presses us on our self-control and our wasting time. How do you waste time? I'm not talking here about rest. Some of you desperately need rest. Some of you confuse rest and wasting time. Uh, Some of you today are going to read the newspaper or take a nap or watch a baseball game or a show on, on television or read a novel or you'll sit on your porch and watch fireflies. That's wonderful. Some of you desperately need to do that. There's a difference between rest and wasting time. But I want to ask you about wasting time. How do you let time slide by unused, unclaimed? How do you waste time? Now, uh, probably half of you would say, uh, if you are at all typical of Americans and what they say about their time, probably half of you would say we waste time with the Internet, Facebook, surfing, Pinterest. Do you know what Pinterest is? Pinterest is uh, a site online where you can find all kinds of great ideas uh, to make your life better, and Pinterest helps you organize them in one, one place. Unfortunately, the lie of Pinterest is that many people confuse collecting good ideas with actually accomplishing those good ideas. Just because you have found 47 ways to organize your kitchen does not mean that your kitchen is automatically organized. And you can spend four hours online trying to find ways to organize your kitchen and think, wow, I got so much done. As you turn around and look at your counter, which is a complete disaster, you haven't actually done anything. But Pinterest makes you feel good about it because you've got ideas now. So that tomorrow you can find 47 ideas for your garden. Um, uh, you can waste time watching endless hours of television. Most Americans, about three hours a day, they watch television. Or playing video games is the scourge of young men. Two hours and 43 minutes a day is the average that young men 18 to 34 play video games. Uh, Actually, young men 18 to 34 play more video games than teenagers. Uh, You can waste time talking on the telephone endlessly. Hours and hours go by. Uh, none of these things are evil in themselves. It, it might be a legitimate expression of rest, but some of you feel out of control about this. And your life is consumed by time wasting activities. And with the use of the word evil here, Paul is, um, a passage, this passage, Paul in this passage is trying to unmask these time wasters. Uh, by and large, the things that I have mentioned, Facebook, television, uh, uh, other things from the Internet, they do not exist to help you, to sanctify you, to assist you. They actually exist to draw you in and to hook you like a fisherman uh, hooks a fish. They are designed to attract your attention and to keep it and hold it because the more time you spend staring at a screen, the more commercials you watch and the more uh, 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 revenue goes to that television show, uh, television channel network. The more time you spend surfing around Facebook, the more time you'll see those ads and the more revenue goes into Mark Zuckerberg's pocket. They're not there to help you. They are there to attract you and to keep you and to draw you in. This is the most obvious, I think, on local news channels, the stations. Uh, let's say at 10 o'clock, uh, they'll come on. You're, you're watching a television show, and th- th- it's, it's blatant. They'll say, what's in store for the weather this weekend? It might get rough. And you think to yourself, it might I better be there at 11 to find out what happens. Or they'll come on and say, two people are dead. We'll have the details at 11. Who's dead? Is this somebody I know? How did they die? I better find out. They hook you in. They're not there to help you and serve you. They're there so you can see the car commercials while they're talking about the weather. Hmm. Uh, don't let them take your time. Take your time back. Uh, There's more here, though, than just this warning about wasting time. There are cosmic forces at work. The days are evil, Paul says. These are evil things we're thinking about. Now, what does that mean? Ephesians chapter 2 says that we live in an evil age. Ephesians 6.13 talks about evil days. This world, Paul says, remember you need to understand that this world is dominated by someone who is the God of this age who does not want God to be known, loved, thanked, honored, or followed. And Ephesians 5.16 is not just about efficiency. It's about this cosmic battle between good and evil. And the evil one would just very happily have you spend your evening playing a video game, watching television, reading a novel, and doing nothing productive to know God or to make God known. Now, I know this is more than just uh, uh, a wasting time. This is a cosmic battle also because he uses this phrase, take advantage Take advantage is a phrase that's used elsewhere in Scripture with special reference to our witness as Christians in the world. Take advantage of every opportunity you have to speak of Christ. What are the opportunities you have today that you will have today to speak of Christ? Don't let them slip by, Paul says. Larry Ross was a media uh, and public relations consultant. And towards the end of his career, he started working with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Society uh, Association. And, and he arranged the details for Billy Graham for hundreds of radio and television appearances. And before every interview, they do a mic check. They, uh, uh, Mr. Graham, they say, would you please speak into the microphone so that we can test the microphone for levels. And undoubtedly, with, without missing a beat, Billy Graham would say, John 3:16." For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, Larry Ross asked him about it. Uh, Why do you do that every time? And Billy Graham said, because that way, if I'm not able to communicate the gospel clearly during the interview, at least the cameraman will have heard it. Take advantage of every opportunity you have. I have an encouragement for you, something that I would like to challenge you to think about here. Um, this is something I heard many years ago and I pass it on to you. What would happen if every morning you prayed and you asked God, "Father today, give me an opportunity to talk about Jesus Christ? Give me an opportunity today to talk about Christ, make it clear, give me the courage to take it and the words to say. Give me an opportunity. Open the door. Paul says, "Pray for an open door. Open a door. Give me the courage to walk through it and the words to say. You'll be surprised at what happens when you start praying that way. The world is evil, so make make uh, opportunity, take advantage, then make the most of every chance you have." At the congregational meeting last week, I I told those gathered there about how encouraged I have been recently by reading some of the letters that Charles Spurgeon wrote his church. And when Charles Spurgeon was out of the pulpit due to illness, he would write his church and consistently in them he would say, he, he would talk about his desire that more people would become followers of Christ. One line that sticks out in my mind is, he says, I long to see hundreds saved. It's a marvelous line. I long He's hundreds of miles away from his church. He's thinking about his church in London. He says, I long to see hundreds saved. Um, wouldn't that be wonderful for our congregation for that to be true of us? I long to see hundreds saved. Hundreds of people in Millersville or in Willow Street or in Lancaster or Hempfield. Verse 16 is how we're going to have to think if this is going to become reality. Take advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't waste time. But even more, you need to seize every opportunity that you have. It is basic to walking in wisdom. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come before you this morning and we are grateful to you for your word and and what it says here to us about walking in wisdom. Father we it is it is easy we confess it's easy to be lulled into habits and patterns it's easy to be um, lulled into thinking that the, the friendships we've had for a long time that we can't introduce Christ into them because it would just be too awkward because we've known these people for so long and oh uh, we live in an evil age uh, a a world system that does not want Christ to be known. In fact, it wants to steal the opportunities that we have. God, I pray that you would enable us this week to enjoin in this battle between opportunity and evil. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, long to see hundreds saved, he said. It would be our delight, Father, to welcome hundreds into our congregation, into the family of God. I pray, Father, that you would, therefore, uh, send us forth as wise, walking people in this world who, who redeem the time, who don't waste it. Uh, help us to encourage one another toward that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.